Welcome to the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm Ryan Sanderson, and every week I lead you through the world of Alberta barbecue and beyond, bringing you stories of the amazing people in and around the barbecue culture. This podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen in. I appreciate the gift of your time, and I hope I can entertain you for a little bit. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher, and I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. And now, on with this week's show. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Eat More Barbecue podcast. This is episode number 118. Excited to have you on board. Coming up on the show this week is the second and final part of the panel discussion on the Chef's Table Barbecue series on Netflix. Last week, we covered the Tootsie Tominets and Lennox Hasty episodes, and this week we talk about Rodney Scott and Rosalia Chechuk. I think this Netflix series is outstanding, and I really had a great time recording these episodes with my guests. Thanks again to Peter Zakowski from Pitt County Barbecue in Edmonton, Yoni Levin, host of the best barbecue show out of Austin, Texas, and the Moose Shed Barbecue's Luke Donald from Canmore, Alberta. Long-time listeners to the show will recall that in non-COVID years, I have talked about Canadian Barbecue Society competition schedule and results. Well, folks, I'm very happy to bring you, for the first time in 2020, your Canadian Barbecue Society competition update. That's right. This past weekend, I had the great pleasure of attending, as part of the organizing board, the 2020 Barbecue on the Boat. It was great to be a part of this competition, and I'm so happy that we were able to provide the teams with at least one competition this year. This year, sorry, We had a great field of 21 top teams, uh, and it is safe to say that everyone had a good, safe, and socially distanced time. Thanks to the Rosebud Valley Campground in Didsbury, Alberta for hosting us, and to the Didsbury Lions Club for their support and assistance in pulling this event together in really a very short period of time. And now for the results. First place in chicken went to Saskatchewan's Prairie Smoke and Spice. First place ribs was Calgary's Smellicue. First place pork was once again Prairie Smoke and Spice. And first place in brisket was Smellicue once again. Sensing a theme there. We paid out the top six overall and they were Hog Parts, School of Smoke, Craft and Brewery in sixth. 403 Barbecue out of Red Deer in 5th place. Big Smoke Barbecue from Steinbach, Manitoba in 4th. Calgary's Notorious PIG in 3rd place. Smellicue was the RGC, and Rob and the crew from Prairie Smoke and Spice were grand champions. Congrats to the winners and everyone that got a call. It was awesome to have a bit of competition barbecue going down for a change. And I really could tell from everyone there just how much they enjoyed being there, how much they appreciated having this event to get uh, get to and compete in and see all their friends. It was awesome. Hey folks, hit me up if you have a barbecue or cooking product you'd like me to review and talk about on the show. I'm looking for rubs, sauces, gadgets, and more for a new product review feature on the podcast. Please get in contact with me if you're interested, interested via social media or by email at eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com. This episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast is brought to you by the inaugural YEG PodFest, presented by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network and LitFest, Canada's nonfiction festival. Running October 1st through 3rd, the festival will be held entirely online this year, so anyone can experience it. Events will include masterclasses with experts, panel discussions, feature interviews, and more. Some of the Alberta Podcast Network podcasters will be part of these events, along with guests from around the world. 
Kicking off the festival on October 1st is the headline event with Jad Abumrad of Radiolab and Dolly Parton's America. I mentioned there are masterclasses available, including one on how to sell a podcast to your boss with the APN's own Karen Unland and Kyle Marshall. All events are free to register with donations gratefully accepted. To check out the full lineup for YEG Podfest, head out to yegpodfest.ca. Next up was uh, Rodney Scott out in uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Hemingway, South Carolina. Uh, certainly a, a well-known, another well-known yeah. figure in the uh, in the barbecue scene. So. Definitely. Great. And Peter, you've had, uh, have you been out that way as well, Yoni? No, but I've run into him at events. Okay. Yep. So great. And Peter, you've been, uh, yeah, I was, I was luckily, luckily, um, for my 30th birthday, I went from North Carolina, South Carolina and Kentucky. So I was lucky to be able to stop there. We didn't make it to the Hemingway location, but we did go to Charleston and, um, I have nothing but good things to say. I mean, the posts that I put on Instagram, the, really for a whole hog there's two names in barbecue it's jones and it's it's rodney i mean yeah. obviously martin sneaks in there too and there's a, a few <laughs> sure. other guys but uh the stuff he's doing his pit room in itself i almost wish being there and seeing it and even i think there's a bon appetit with bradley own uh where he goes and and works a shift there but the the nature of the pit room there is just incredible uh, they designed the hopper pits that you see in the opening credits that just slide up smoothly. And uh, even when I was there, they were talking about their burn box burning 24 seven and so hot that they have to replace it every year because it just starts warping so that they were actually working with an aero science or aerospace engineer to devise a new burn box using components that are in air airline runways so that it could wow. last longer. So it's the, the community again of, of just barbecue and it itself of how we were talking about Tootsie just being so open to take pictures and talk about the process when you go visit. They're amazing there. And it, I, I have nothing but great things to say. And Luke, you've got a bit of a hog experience yourself. Yes. Yeah. But very different um, to the way I used to cook the pigs. So we, we slow roasted ours essentially the same way as you would do your roast, like a, a a roast joint in the oven. Right. Um, we never kind of split the pigs. They were always, they always came, they were obviously cleaned and dressed, but they were, they mm. were whole uh, and not split. So when they used to sit in our roaster, uh, they would kind of s- sort of stand up in there and then we'd just roast them slowly. Minimum was around about, depending on the, depending on the weight, but it was usually around about eight to 10 hours that we would, cook the pigs and then we would always cook them fresh on site on the day so if we had a a wedding or a birthday we would go out early in the morning get everything set up and we would cook the pig there and then on on site so it'd be ready for the desired serving time of the uh, the clients but like you were saying that's kind of i was gonna say like you were saying peter um one thing with with our pigs with the ingredients uh, and how and, and it being fresh was um, the pigs that I selected, they weren't necessarily the the cheapest pigs in the world. So it kind of, from a business perspective, was probably not a great kind of business model from a financial side of things. However, the flavor and the taste of the pigs was 
far superior to you know some of the others that I could get, and they were they were selected on the Wednesday, slaughtered on the Thursday, and then I would collect them uh, on the Friday or the Saturday. Uh, so you know they were kind of as fresh as you can as fresh as you can get, and that was something that I really wanted to kind of keep uh, to that kind of model, just to basically you know give out uh, the best produce that I could that I could possibly give out. It's it's really important, and even going off of of what you were saying, having the the pigs in the prone position there, like a sphinx. A lot of the time, it's one of the things that drew me to Carolina style barbecue is this splitting it open, almost spatchcocking it, for lack yeah. of a better term. Obviously, you're not removing the spine, but just opening it up and splaying it out. It creates a means for all that fat and flavor, everything just to sit and base itself, yeah. and it's just something different. I mean, in, in Canada. You get a lot of people either spit roasting pigs or, or again, putting them in kind of the prone sphinx position. So a lot of the times when I'm doing events and I'm doing it in the Carolina style, everybody's kind of thrown off. They're going, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I've never seen anything like this. This is yeah. this is weird. This is different. And I like it because it gives me an opportunity to spread the gospel of North Carolina barbecue and South Carolina barbecue and just kind of educate people on on how it goes. But I, I always get asked to like do you keep the do you keep the trotters on and do you keep the head on yeah i don't i i i like having people know where their meat's from but i remove them because a lot of the times when i'm doing events it's for families and the last thing i would ever want to have happen is to freak out a child and scare them away from eating meat for the rest of their life so if the adults want to see the head and the feet that's up to them i would rather keep people eating meat and not turn yeah, them off yeah, yeah. so <laughs> we used to give them the option yeah. yeah yeah we used to say do you want the head on or off and then they went from there so. it's it's a fun it's a fun style i mean one one thing i really like about rodney too and they they cover it a little bit there but in uh, one true q which is a book going over the carolina yeah. barbecues uh they really stress his community nature of obtaining wood and the fact mm-hmm. that the people in that county, for lack of a better term, um, with the amount of storms and hurricanes that as soon as a tree would fall, they'd be calling him and he'd be out there more times than not himself, bucking it up and chopping yeah. it up and, and yeah. getting that wood himself, which in itself is pretty impressive. That just yeah. really shows a dedication to the quality and the process of, of wood fired barbecue and, and really that community aspect of what a lot of these barbecue places are is you can go to a high end restaurant and it's a high end restaurant, but nine times out of 10, I would say a barbecue place is based on and built on the community that it creates by, by having this support on, on a lot of different levels. Yeah, having uh, having read that about him collecting the wood in the community, I was kind of watching for it in the episode, and uh, obviously didn't see it. Yeah. We actually saw it in the Tootsie episode with Carrie out uh, chopping the tree down with the guy in the field there. So Carrie gets his wood from a, from a big dump truck. Don't worry, that's, that's, <laughs> that's some Netflix engineering. <laughs> that was for that was just for show. Yeah, you're that's saying some well, good editing. <laughs> he he goes out and does that stuff all the time. His son sure. is a son. Colby is in a amazing volunteer where you know there was a, an awful accident where um, a huge uh, cattle carrier flipped over mm-hmm. on the side of the road and they were out there 
cutting the metal open and trying to save every calf and you know yeah uh, they're just other guys with with animal haulers they're not like trained response teams and there's just they do lots of stuff out there like that but um i thought it was kind of a stretch to be like oh this is going right to snows (laughs) like that old tree they cut down they probably just found one they're like hey can you cut a tree down Sure, yeah. yeah. Give, me, give me 10 minutes. Let me call somebody. Yeah. Give me um, all the secrets away, yeah, Yoni. Yeah, geez. The behind the scenes. Listen, I like uh <laughs> I like Netflix. I like I like uh that barbecue is is represented well and I love the the beauty and the sexiness of all these episodes. At the same time, uh I really want people to understand that it is still TV. They are still, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a bunch of strangers. You know, one of the reasons I tasked myself with my show was I want to tell the depth. I want to tell the story of everybody. I want to, I want to tell you about, you know, at truth barbecue, there's this, there's this old man who, you know, just loves working there. He takes out the garbage. He does all these things. And, and as much as these are amazing, compelling people, barbecue is just rich with these people. It's not just yeah. these four episodes. It's, it's, yeah. it's people that care. It's people who are passionate. It's people who, who just want to be around it, who just, you know, fell in love with it one way or another. And, uh, and, and that's why, you know, I say on my show that barbecue is the cheapest it's ever going to be. And, you know, Luke, you were talking about these amazing hogs you were finding, you know, it's time that I think, I don't think barbecue should double in price immediately, but I think we should all start charging a little bit more because yeah, steakhouses are great, but they, they cook for 10 minutes and you pay double per pound, what you pay for, you know, the same kind of meat. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something else that I noticed, you know, when I was doing any kind of events, I was always the first one there and the last one to leave. And you had mm-hmm. other people turning up that were flipping burgers or uh, fish and chips was a, was another popular one. They would turn up half an hour or an hour before the event time, get everything fired up, have everything hot, ready to go. And then they would tear down within 40 minutes and they'd be gone. And I'd be, yeah. I'd be still there wrapping everything up or, you know, when I'd be there at the crack of dawn getting everything on. And like you say, you, yeah. you, you're very right there, Yoni. It's a lot of people, you know, they kind of grumble at the price sometimes. And you think, well, you know, if you actually understood the effort and commitment and the passion that went into what you're eating, you know, it's it's actually extremely reasonably priced. Absolutely. Well, well that's what I, I'm constantly... I'm just constantly telling people, tell your story. Like we all have a TV studio in our pockets now. Yeah. Please like tell, I want to know all your guys' stories because that's the only thing that telling stories has gotten me is more curious. And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to task the barbecue community as a whole to, to, to use their stories to actually get paid something that that allows them, you know, barbecue places were hurt, hit the hardest during this whole situation because their margins are so much lower than the average place. And they're, their costs and their, their daily, you know, they've got 10 times the people working there. Like you yeah. said, like they don't just show up prep and serve They're like Everyone's there the day before cooking. Um, yeah. Yep. And well, so barbecue is the cheapest it's ever going to be. Well, and there's a disassociation, I think. I mean, when people show up to an event and they just see the product, they don't know what's gone into it. And I think that's why even with the Netflix show, there is a little bit more over the last number of years, romanticization of barbecue because the actual process time and effort is being showcased now. I mean, yeah. two weekends ago, I did a event at the Harley Davidson of Edmonton. We wanted to serve around 1230 and I was up at 345, got there, set up the, the coals 
And I had my chair slid right next to my cooker to keep me warm as I watched the sunset. <laughs> and I was there all morning and we served at, yep. at 1230 and it was all said and done, but nobody that comes sees, sees the process. They just see it, take the meat off the cooker and put it in a sandwich and, and give it to them. And there's a weird yeah. disconnect. So luckily like shows like this are actually showcasing the amount of work and the, the level of work that uh, these things require to actually get that product. How's the, uh, how's the new cooker working for you, Peter? Fantastic. Like I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for it to work any better. Uh, I was apprehensive because going from the center block to a steel unit, I thought that the cement in the center blocks was going to be a higher heat retention. Um, but I didn't factor in air loss and airflow. So I'm actually going through probably about a quarter of the amount of charcoal that I was going wow. through before, which is huge. And I mean, there was a very, I, I'm still gobsmacked because there's a very, very real possibility that I designed this thing, built this thing off of an idea in my head, emulating the cookers down south for it not yeah. to work. And sure. it does, <laughs> which is like, it, it, it surprised me every single time. I can, I can keep yeah. that thing floating around. I can control it with the dampers. I can keep it for for five hours solid on a little bit of charcoal at 300 fluctuates a little bit but other than that i just play with the the dampers and it it works better than i would have imagined so and and a little easier than hauling the cinder blocks around a little easier i mean the thing still weighs 550 pounds so when i was working with the fabricators i had a concept of having it compartmentalized so legs base grease coal tray and lid uh so that i could lift it into the back of the truck and when they came back with the original shop drawings, the thing was 1,200 pounds. So I was like, okay, we got to get that down. So then they came back and it was 750. <laughs> I was like, okay, we got to get that down. And then it finalized around 535, 550. Um, but I have it on casters. A lot of the ones in the States too will actually be on trailers. So wheels on trailers, right. you hook it up. Um, I didn't want to go through the process of dealing with the traffic regulation. So I just put it on casters. Right. And I've got ramps and a winch, and I just put it onto a trailer myself. The nice thing with that is it's accessible, so now I can move it around. So I'm not right. taking it to a site and it's fixed in one area just because it's on a trailer. Um, I could move into into a warehouse with the doors open or or yeah. whatever it may be. So it's it's been awesome. a, a journey. Uh, I would like to yeah. make one half the size for a little bit more portable, but I will be working with the fabricator again to to put a rotisserie in there so I can uh, mm. do chickens and a few other things in there. So, so you know, Yoni, you're probably familiar with it. The BQ. Yeah. Uh, that Sam Jones is a, so Peter designed and had built something, uh, something kind of similar to that. For it's his, like a, uh, a nice, a nice box of heat and yeah. deliciousness. It is. I get, uh, <laughs> I get bugged a lot that it looks like, uh, like a meat coffin. Just, uh, I, I, I like yeah. to say coffin. People, people yeah. get mad. No, I, I mean, I, I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. It works. It's a spectacle yep. in call, itself. Call it what you want. It, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it works. Sarcophagus. It makes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> delicious, delicious food. So, I mean, people yeah. can call call it whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I love. I mean, speaking of Rodney Scott, is the you know the ones that are kind of on the crane open up yeah. like that. So cool. Yeah, so, so yeah cool. slick. Uh, yeah, kind of a neat, uh, neat feature. 
Easy, ease, ease of use, I yeah. guess. Eh? Yeah. Well, it's great because then it, you don't have you know the top in the way when you're using an entire mop to. Yep. I, I was I like I know for him it's not true, but I've seen places where it's like they use a big mop just kind of a as a gimmick, and I always laugh. Yeah. It's like who does that? Oh, Rodney Scott does. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I chuckled at the uh, the opening of his episode, and it's probably again a little bit of the Netflix influence, but. Uh, you know, going through the hardware store, picking out yeah, uh, yeah. his supplies, right? Well, I, I like that because, I mean, myself starting with cinder blocks, it just, it did show kind of what we were talking about before. Like, if you want to put the time and effort in, it is as crazy as it sounds. It's accessible. Um, you can find yeah. the things that you need to do this if you are willing to put in the work and are determined to to put it together. So I did like seeing, yep. even though it was a little bit kind of like gimmicky, I, I did like seeing that process because for me, it just really demonstrated that it is accessible. And in my opinion, all food should be accessible. Yeah. Absolutely. What I think Rodney's, I mean, he's great in this, but I think in real life, he's a little more fun than they let on. And that's why I, I've been tasking myself to travel and to, to bring a little more lightness to these things because I feel like they try to, you know, the, the, you're going to sell more TV if you make him look legendary. But a lot, even Aaron Franklin, you know, when I talk to him, he doesn't want to be this insane person. He just wants to be a guy and drink beer, you yeah. know, and cook. And in those moments, I've gotten to see him kind of let go of the world and just cook. It's it's nice because, you know, as much as we all want to um, have more people know what we do, sometimes there could be too many people, too. On this episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast, we'd like to tell you about what's new with our friends at StoryHive. Since 2013, Telus StoryHive has funded productions and supported emerging, emerging filmmakers with mentorship and guidance from the National Screen Institute. The StoryHive program has brought hundreds of films to life from creators in Western Canada. StoryHive is committed to supporting underrepresented filmmakers and stories, which is why we want you to jump on this opportunity. StoryHive's Documentary Edition is back, and this one is all about local heroes. They're looking for documentary, documentary pitches from Alberta residents that highlight extraordinary citizens in your community, big or small. Successful pitches will receive $20,000 in customized mentorship to produce their project. Applications are open until October 7th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Check the eligibility requirements and apply now at StoryHive.com. Well, let's uh, move on to the final episode in the series, and uh, uh, my Spanish isn't great. Uh, Rosalia Chechuk um, from Yashuna in uh, Yucatan, Mexico. Um, just, I, I was really impressed with this episode. Uh, just her importance uh, that of upholding and passing on those traditions, and it actually kind of made me think of uh, Rodney Scott a little bit and the, uh, you know, from where he is in the Carolinas upholding that tradition because it wasn't that long ago where people were talking about that style of whole hog cooking going away and I think there's a resurgence of it now and uh, I saw the parallel with what she's doing there with her uh, her Mayan cooking and she said, if we don't rescue Mayan tradition, everything we believe in will be lost. Mm. I thought that was pretty... Uh, just showed the importance of it to her. It's yeah. I, I like the episode. It really showcased 
again, I thought it was a good way to to wrap up the series because for me, it just really showcased the heritage and culture that are behind a lot of these things. So you can have something as ancient as what she's doing with Mayan culture. You can have something a little bit newer like Carolina or Texas barbecue. Um, but it's just really preserving those traditions and the history behind what all these people are doing and, and showcasing the importance of continuing to pass that torch on so that these things don't disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can see a crossover, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be near Mexico and, and uh, I'm doing an episode right now with St. John's Colony. There's a place in Austin called Brown's Barbecue, and Daniel Brown is from St. John's Colony, which was one of the first free black colonies uh, in Texas. And so he, his ancestors chose a spot that was kind of in between cities because, you know, even though they're free, they knew that there was still going to be trouble. So they wanted to choose a place that was safer for them. And a lot of Mexicans live there. And so they actually have this beautiful church and the school that they started and, and there's three stone pits and the stone pits are 30, 50 and 70 years old. But next to them is this kind of like mound. And I said, you know, was there an older pit? And they said, no, before we built the stone pits, uh, the Mexicans taught us to cook in the ground. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to hunt down. I may never find an answer, but I'm trying to hunt down this crossover where, uh, you know, the, these ideas from the South came up. And there's still two places in Texas that are grandfathered in where they actually still cook with a hole in the ground. Uh, that's pretty dude, awesome. Vera, I know what's the other. Um, I, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. It's not as good as Vera. Okay, okay. At least from what I've been told, <laughs> not worth, not worth mentioning. <laughs> but there is one other place. There's, there's five places okay. in Austin that have pits that, you know, every time the the fire marshal comes, is just like, why? But you know, they're grandfathered <laughs> in. It's Texas. Yep. Well, and what's the place? Uh, not, not a underground pit of any sort but in houston uh, pizzatolas yeah yeah i remember reading that they that they can't expand because they're uh if they did they're uh they'd lose their grandfather status on their pits so. well and it's a big problem too you know i was talking about before that the, a lot of these small towns they're just forcing ada uh accessibility on people so a lot of these places have these old awful bathrooms that are leaky but they can't work on them because the moment they start working on them or changing them they have to basically redo the whole thing. And these little mom and pop shops can't spend 20 grand on a bathroom. Yeah. Um, which is why it's a good idea to just cook in the woods in holes. That's right. <laughs> no rules. There you go. There you go, Luke. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure parks will have something to say about that. Just go on, go on the side of the mountain. No one lives and start digging holes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Just stay out of the park. Yeah. Stay out of the national yeah, park. Exactly. You'll yeah. be fine. Uh, oh yeah. The, the nice thing about the episode too is kind of what Luke was saying with the, the pigs is just the focus on quality of ingredients and where they're coming from and processing mm-hmm. them properly and the process of, of taking the corn and milling the corn. It's it's pretty rare. Yeah. Uh the only yeah. person that I'm aware of doing that is a, a chef in Victoria named Israel Alvarez, and he's just started something called Maze. So he's doing the next mall process and processing the corn. He's working with local farmers in that area to actually grow. I'm not sure what the proper word would be, but would be species of corn um, similar to what would be down in Mexico because he is from, from Mexico and, and using that to again, obtain those flavors um, that we're just not getting here. So it's similar to what she's doing where she's, 
I mean, I liked at the end when they go to the cornfield and like, yeah, we knock the corn over because it prevents the birds from getting it so that we can harvest it properly. So that it's the level of detail that even somebody like Linux is putting that level of detail into these things, but on another flip side, I mean, so is she. And to, to that note, I mean, to have somebody like Renee Redzepi be interested in working with you because you are so acute to, uh, to detail and quality. I mean, that in itself is, is a pretty big, big thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's ancient ingredients that are just starting, you know, there's a, uh, Mui Gringo is a restaurant in, you know, near the Amazon in Brazil. And he came to town. He actually brought me uh, these, this hot pepper powder mix. And it's all wild peppers that grow in the Amazon that these indigenous people, rather than join modern society, they started a farm and they sell at a very high rate these unique spices and peppers um, out of, you know, just basically straight out of their village. And I think, you know, I love that Renee was in it and I love all that. But at the same time, I like to see, you know, finding ways to that the money and everything, you know, Netflix is going to make a hundred times more money than this woman's going to make cooking this food. And so I'd love to see more of that money going directly to those people because that gives them, you know, a, a reason to continue. That makes them not worry about things like what just happened, you know, this pandemic. And it, it, you know, this is going to allow for, you know, snows and all these places that have been on TV, they get stage requests and all these things because everyone wants to learn. Right. So it's great to have that energy. I want to see more money going into these ancient ways because we don't want to lose them as much as we kind of, you know, swept over our past. Let's, I think it's a good time now to like say we fucked up. Now it's time to actually pay attention to what all these people do. Cause I mean, I, I would kill to try any of the food that's in this last episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, it looked amazing. Yeah. And the fact that, yeah, it's not a restaurant that she has, right. It's, uh, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough, she invites you into her home to to feed you, right? So, pretty amazing. Yeah, well, it's a workaround, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it doesn't look like some crazy. You know, it's it, it's not like um, the the Lennox episode with these ridiculous dishes and all this. It's just a taco. No, it's just, yeah. it's just a perfect yeah. tortilla with perfect ingredients. Yeah. Like it's just ah. Uh, Simple. Well, something that something that right? I really enjoyed with with that sh- with that episode was the fact of like you said, Peter, how ancient the style of cooking and uh, the whole process <clears throat> of grinding <throat> the the grains and everything that she did. I just found it really quite fascinating to watch. But uh, the other thing that struck me was the fundamentals of what they or how they cook is exactly the same as how Lennox cooks or how Rodney Scott cooks or snows. It's, it's all the same fundamentals. It's just done a more modern way. And, you know, yeah. I, I found, like you say, it was a great episode to kind of conclude the, uh, the series on because it did tie everything together in a roundabout way, you know? Yep. So do we want to start the controversy where the, uh, the, one of the chefs that was on there talked about, you know, that they started cooking that way in the year 400 and referred to it as the origin of all barbecue. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, who knows, right? 
I mean, I think we all love what we do, and I think that we would all yeah. disagree on half the things that we do. You know, uh, us Texans yeah. are very specific about what we like. You know, Joe Rogan just moved to Austin, and I'm gonna do yeah. my damnedest to uh, teach him how a stick burner works. Um, <laughs> although, you know, I've got nothing against Traeger. I think uh, yeah. I think that that you know he would enjoy. He's just he's exploring. You can tell he's exploring and he's posting things. And I'm like, you're on the yeah. wrong side of town, man. Let me take you to the good barbecue, yeah. but. Obviously, uh, maybe you can show him a thing or two about podcasting too. I, I, don't so. I need, I need my own Jamie Vernon. <laughs> now, my, I, you know, on the origin of barbecue, my, I'm of the thought that all these different societies around the world, you know, obviously we all, everyone started cooking on fire at some yeah. point, right? So, I don't know that anyone. Uh, place or region could claim to be the uh, the origin of it but uh yeah. the fact it that all, they've been doing it for that long regardless is uh, it all impresses each other too which is nice sure i mean yeah. all the different barbecue cultures they all stem from different different uh beginnings and it's kind of what gives it its uniqueness absolutely yeah. and now as uh as the world gets smaller those all those different influences are melding together in places and you're getting uh, different flavors and uh, different things coming together. So it's kind of neat that way. All right. That seems like a, a great place to wrap it up, guys. I uh, appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Uh, I really, you know, a yeah, wonderful series of, uh, of shows. If uh, folks, if you haven't watched it, uh, check it out on Netflix. Uh, before we wrap everything up, we'll give uh, give everyone kind of a chance to Put some plugs in. We'll start with Yoni down in Austin. Uh, where can folks find you? Yeah, I'm at Best Barbecue uh, on pretty much all social media. Uh, YouTube.com slash Best BBQ Show. I'm starting to get all my episodes. Uh, all of the episodes from 2019 have been videotaped, but they're now being edited. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be hunting down. I might be in your neck of the woods. Who knows? But I'm yeah. constantly hunting down the story of barbecue. So don't be afraid awesome. to go out there and explore yourselves. You know, All these places are going to be completely destroyed at this point so there's lots of good stories in barbecue you don't have to pick the one that everyone's trying to go to right now yeah exactly luke uh yeah you can find me at the moose shed barbecue uh, on twitter facebook and instagram i've got a website coming soon and uh, as i mentioned before i've just recently got my food handling permit so i'm just going through all that process and hopefully we'll be trading uh, before christmas Awesome. Well, we'll be, uh, I think we're going to be out, up your way for Thanksgiving, so Excellent. we'll uh, try, try to get together for our annual beer there. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Peter, up in Edmonton, what's happening there? Uh, so, yeah, you can find me at my website, pitcountybarbecue.com. Um, Instagram is just pitcountybarbecue. Uh, so as the season is winding to a close here, uh, we've got a few more events in October. Uh, last year, we went down to, to minus 20, so... I am interested to, to push this new cooker and see if we can do some stuff in the winter, but uh, just yeah. a, a shameless self-plug too. I've got my two seasoning spices here for an all-purpose seasoning and our new one, the Howlin' Hog. Um, so they're at uh, Meathead and a few other places in the city, or you can always just drop me a line uh, via the website or, or Instagram, and I can send some your way. Nice. I uh, saw Joe... Uh... Motley Q posting something about the Howlin' Hog the other day looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been uh, working with him a little bit. He's a fantastic guy. 
Yeah, they are good, good folks. That's uh, we, we've got a Yoni. Uh, you know, everyone talks about the Texas barbecue community. We've got a pretty, uh, pretty solid community of folks up I here bet. in Alberta. I, so it's. Uh, I wish I was hanging out with yeah, you we're, guys. We're, we're a few decades behind uh, behind y'all in the culture there, but uh, yeah, we're getting it. Once the borders <laughs> open up, we'll have to get you up here. <laughs> yeah, we'll absolutely. Send. Well, you know, the journey is part of the fun. So you know, indeed, it's uh, it's lonely right now, but you guys will be going even harder. You gonna play a drum solo for us to play it out, or what? <laughs> that's, not, that's not me, man. <laughs> that's the kid. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for doing thank this. You. Really appreciate it. Thank, yeah, you, thank you. See you guys. Bye. See ya. That is a wrap, everybody. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you tuning in. Huge thank you to Luke, Peter, and Yoni for the great discussion about Chef's Table Barbecue. Everybody, this podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. NFL football is back and so is the Tight Ends Podcast. Join host Vanda for some fun conversation and maybe even a little football talk. Please visit www.albertapodcastnetwork.com for links to Tight Ends Podcast and all the other great shows on the network. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Hey, friends. Thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, and I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. You can find me online at eatmorebarbecue.ca and also at albertabbqtrail.ca. Check out the listing of joints on the Barbecue Trail site and show them your support. If you're not in Alberta, get out and show your local barbecue joints some love. Give me a follow on Twitter at eatmorebarbecue and on Facebook and Instagram at eat underscore more underscore barbecue. If you have any questions or guest suggestions, my email is eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com. Thanks to Alan Horbin for the great music on this and every episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and is a production of Eat More Barbecue Digital Media. Till next time, folks, keep on smoking.